Wilbur Smith, the best-selling author of several dozen books, has died at his home in Cape Town. He was born in what is now Zambia, and his formative years were spent on his parents' farm, which I think provided inspiration for his devil-may-care style of adventurous and escapist writing. His books might be described as airport books, the ones that jump out at you as you browse the shop ahead of your long-haul flight, only to be left in the pocket of the back of the seat in front of you. But as I got to know him, I realised his art and success were based on meticulous research and passion for Africa and a wild imagination. His books are not for everyone, but they were definitely not pulp fiction. 140 million people surely can't be wrong. That's how many books he sold. He loved life and travelling, and most of all, he loved Africa. Swallow your pride, and after listening to this interview, buy a book and be transported to his brilliant world of adventure. He visited me in my studio at the Artscape Theatre in Cape Town with his wife, Niso. Please have a listen. My guest tonight is making his second appearance on Newscape, simply because half an hour just wasn't enough the first time. We spoke to him on the telephone from his home in Switzerland last time, but this time at great expense to FMR and after furious and protracted negotiations, we've brought Wilbur Smith into the studio. Wilbur, that last bit, of course, was pure fiction, but you'll be sympathetic to that because you're one of the most successful and also prolific exponents of fiction of the modern era. Do people still want your brand of storytelling? Is it still in demand? Well, uh... It seems to be the best, you know, the proof of the pudding because uh, my books are selling as well as they ever did. In fact, last year, in the present climate when everybody's supposed to be rolling over and dying, uh, my publishing company had their best year ever, and they, they go, they Macmillans, they go back uh, to the t- t- turn of the last century. So, you know, people are buying books. And there's a whole resuscitation with these Kindle books and, you know, exciting things going on. And, you know, it's very hard to keep up with uh, stories and storytelling. And, and the, the basic is people love stories. Yes, they do. And I would say also that because of the recession that we've just endured and that may be continuing, people are staying at home much more. And therefore, they're doing things like watching television. Of course, Becker, the the head of NASPES just across the road from us, says that subscriptions to his television service goes up during recession because people like to stay at home. Chocolate sales go up, for example. So maybe people want to escape the humdrum nature of the world and lose themselves in a Wilbur Smith. I, th- I think that that is very much the case. And uh, uh, Charles Picker, who was my first publisher, he said, uh, you know, the recession's the same thing. In recessions, people look for alternative entertainments and also um, something that will take them out of the the hard grind of looking for a job and, you know, and standing in queues and surviving an English winter. <laughs> and, you know, to curl up with a good book is just about as good as curling up with a blonde. <laughs> or a dark-haired or a person. Dark-head. I must say that Niso Wilbersmith's wife is in the studio with us. Your books always feature rugged heroes, you know, square-jawed and muscular and young, and they've got testosterone sloshing up against their back teeth. And all your books are sort of breathless, exciting, but ultimately satisfying. There's always, you know, the good guy always comes to the fore right at the end. Do you ever say to yourself, well, maybe I should just break the mould just once and write a, a dark book with anti-heroes where the villain actually comes out on top? I wrote a book which which was had a s- sad ending. And um, it was a, about um, a Jewish guy goes back to Israel and flies in the Air Force and gets mutilated. And 
and it had a sad ending. And when I turned it in, um, everybody read it, and then they suddenly, it was like a terrible silence. Oh, and really? It's got a sad ending. He dies. So I said, well, I thought it was appropriate. And they said, it was my fans sort of ganged up on me and said no. So I went back and rewrote another logical ending, which was a happy one. And uh, everyone was delighted with that. Maybe you should assume a nom de plume, because there must be a side of you, as I said. It's not formulaic, your writing, but it certainly applies itself to a certain winning formula. I get rid of all my sadism on my anti-heroes. And this uh, new book that I've I've just just, uh, now called Those in Peril, Mm. there is a sort of virtually a sacrifice of all the evil people in the book, and there are a number of those. So... uh, I have a sadistic streak in me. You know, I like writing about blood and guts. And but you always temper it with the good guy at the end. I mean, you I can think write... that's correct. Yeah. But on the other hand, when you talk about formula, people say you always write the same sort of book. I said, well, take uh, River God. You know, that's set in four thousand BC, and those in peril is set yesterday. So it's not really. Uh, I'm not grinding them out of a mould. I know that there's some writers who write the same book over and over. But I don't think mine are. And any I'd kill anyone who said they were. <laughs> <laughs> Those in peril is out when? April of next year? Yes, in, in the English summer. It will be out earlier in Italy because my Italian publishers take great pride in being the first worldwide to publish me. And I have a fantastic relationship with... Italy and the, uh, and the Italians. Well, let's talk about that fantastic relationship now because I was horrified to see Rome seeing its worst violence for decades yesterday because Mr Berlusconi prevailed by two or three votes in a particularly sensitive vote yesterday and the Italians themselves almost saying to themselves, you know, we understand that you're a bit of a philanderer and a bit roguish when it comes to your business dealings. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, enough is enough. You like him from what I can see. You're smiling away. Look, I have never met him, but uh, <laughs> my wife says I don't like him. But I, I think he's a colourful character. Yes, he is. And and I like colourful characters. And um, I think that uh, his failings are all, as you say, uh, the failings of excess. But as he says, I'm a billionaire. I can do what I like. I can pay for it, you know, so... Uh, that I think Saddam Hussein me. said more or less the same thing. But, <laughs> if you're but looking at the broader picture that was uh, painted um, in a sort of microcosm yesterday in Italy, do you think that Europe, you travel there a lot and you have a home in London still? Uh, we have a, a place in London. Yes. Do you think that Europe is on a slippery slope to... It's sort of been degraded, it's, hasn't it? I mean, the developing world in general is falling in its stature compared to places like China and Russia and India. I think that is correct, and I think the big mistake was trying to make united Europe because they are such diverse peoples. And and the euro, for instance, the actual currency, was a terrible mistake because how can you you put chickens in the same nest with eagles? And so, you know, they should have their lira and and their uh, Greek pounds and that sort of thing, but Germany should have the Deutschmark and uh, France should have the French franc. And that defined the different nationalities which they were trying to heap into one heap and now they are uh, bursting asunder again. I think that the, the euro is doomed. 
Yes, actually, earlier on in an interview I did with a chap from Investec Asset Management in London, he said exactly the same thing. I mean, he's in a position where he can't scare his clients, obviously, but he more or less said the same thing to me, that the euro is probably going to be non-existent in the future. And if it's not, then there's going to have to be changes to the fiscal system on the European continent. Going back to your place, you say, in London. You've got a place in London. You've got a place here in South Africa, in mm -hmm. Bishop's Court, I think it is. You've been spotted by my spies at the gym on many occasions, yeah. you and your wife, in the last uh, couple of weeks. You've also got a place in the Seychelles. Was the Seychelles place the inspiration for your latest book, Those in Peril? Because I understand piracy has gone down as far south as the Seychelles. Well, I, I think the setting is... I, I know well, because... Actually, I, I sold... I had an island in the Seychelles. Yes. Which I sold. Because when I married Niso, my beautiful young bride next to me here, I took her to my tropical island. And you, the, the most ridiculous thing happened. Turns out she's got an allergy to coral. And if she sees coral, she comes out like uh, a pink panther, you know, with pink spots all over her. So we had to sell the island because she couldn't take it. She loved it, but it, it was killing her. So no more Seychelles? No more Seychelles. I had a lovely time there. I had it for, for, for God, how long did you I have it for? Only three years ago. You had yes. it for 20 years. Almost. I had it for 20 years. I did. I racked up something like 300 open water uh, scuba dives. I caught all sorts of lovely fish there. And I, I, I did a lot of reading and uh, barbecues. And it was a lovely time and a super place. And the man who's bought it from me, uh, is now developing it into a little kingdom of his own. He's a very, very wealthy and very, very nice chap. Yeah. So he says we can come back any time we like. Very good. Switzerland is another place. I mean, that's the sort of sanitized version of Europe. It's almost an island itself within Europe. Are you fond of the place? Very, very <laughs> fond of the place. Um, you know, the thing about it, of course, <clears throat> is you feel so safe and secure there. It's, you, but, you know, it's also overprotective in a way at nine o'clock you know you you turn your television down because everybody else turns their television down okay and you don't run the washing machines and that after what time after 10 o'clock in the evening after 10 o'clock in the evening and uh but it's it's great mm. my my uh, previous wife my deceased wife i bought her a a um a very elaborate and beautiful uh, mink coat and she left it on the train and <laughs> it's like like 50 grand you know I'm talking pounds yes. 50,000 English pounds and it's just gone on the train and she had a nervous breakdown and I wasn't close behind her we went to the police and I told them the whole story and they said yes good we'll get it for you and I, I said but it's going to be stolen he said monsieur this is Switzerland <laughs> The next morning, the policeman arrived with the mink coat. It's interesting that you embrace a society like that because you come from a, a more haphazard and hectic yeah. and less, um, um, not less civilised, but certainly a society that uh, doesn't uh, apply the rule of the law Conform, so strictly. Yeah. I mean, Africa is, I mean, it's, it's a very vibrant continent, but it's certainly not Switzerland. Where is home? Is it Africa or is it Europe or is it somewhere else? My home is wherever Niso is. Um, it, really, but you change with time, you know. Uh, I, I I used to enjoy uh, 
drinking and having punch-ups and arguments and that sort of thing. But I uh, now I like the I like the the secure, safe life. It, it actually I, I adore South Africa, and you know Africa is in my blood and Cape Town in particular I, mm. I, I love. But it it galls a bit when you have to make your home into like a prison, you know, with all the protection and and guards and uh, and police dogs and that sort of thing. Yeah. And and so we only spend a, a limited amount of time in 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 Cape Town because I have to have that. It's like a, a lifeblood injection. But then then I go back to other places which I have also become very fond of, like the UK and to. Uh, and uh, yes, my goodness, yeah, New York, of course. New York is, is where it all is. Do you have uh, a place there? No. no. What we do is we rent. My my publishers in New York select a rental place for us, and then we 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 move into a rental place there, and we enjoy that for a, a, a month or two every year. You're not a mystery writer per se, but you must have been intrigued by the, the so-called honeymoon murder that's been playing out over the last couple of weeks in, in Cape Town. What do you make of that? It's, it's a quite extraordinary. I, I thought, as did most people at the beginning when it first came, that these poor little, uh, how can I say, uh, foundlings, you know, just wandered into, the, into the, 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 the good places where, you know, all the bad boys are and got bumped off. Uh, but, you know, there are layers upon layers upon layers, and I, I'm sure half of it is lies, and the other, but, you know, God knows which is the lies and which are not. Um, it, it is a terrible because it, she seemed to be a very sweet, beautiful girl. Yes. And, uh, and he seemed to be quite a nice guy, but, you know, what people are saying about him now, who knows? Yeah, all sorts of things have come out. I mean, allegations of his homosexuality. I think the two things. Nothing wrong with that. I don't mind. But I don't mind gay guys at all. But But not if they're pretending to be married. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of them are married. Mm. Elton John and people like that got married. You know, Mm. and and but perhaps he was just making up his mind. We don't know that to be the truth, of course. I think yes. originally it came in the Sun newspaper, and Nisa, you were saying you saw it in the South African Independent newspaper. Yeah, I think that's just a spurious sort of side plot. The two things that really struck me about it and made me start to think that something's not right is, firstly, he said that the hijackers said to him, don't worry, we're not going to harm you, we just want the car. And then the next morning the car was found. So they didn't steal the car, so that's point number one. That motive was thrown out the window. And the second thing is... He employed Max Clifford, the publicist, the PR guru, who handles all the stars. Why on earth, if you're innocent, would you shell out all that money? I mean, this man doesn't come cheap. Tens of thousands of pounds to represent you. Why do you need Max Clifford if you're innocent? I think he's made a tactical error there of monumental proportions. Perhaps he wants to sell the book afterwards. That's also true. (laughs) Maybe you could ghostwrite it for him. (laughs) Thank you very much. It does an extremely well without ghostwriting at all. So, well, it, I so it would not be allowed. His new book, Those in Peril, probably, hopefully, will be published at least in hardback, over a million copies. So this is this is marvelous. So no ghostwriting, my darling. That's just the first printing, John. Yes, first printing. That's uh, <laughs> it's an extraordinary achievement. So please, no ghostwriting. Okay, that's so, the end of so that then. Those in Peril is so far fetched. I mean, I can't bring myself to read it when it does come out. Twenty billion dollar ransom for these poor people. <laughs> Couldn't you make it million? I mean, billion. <laughs> no. The point is, that uh, they didn't want the ransom. 
they wanted to force her into taking the law into her own hands, and then they could catch her rather than her baby. We spoke to a few people about pirates a couple of weeks ago when that British couple were released, and I spoke to a Somalian in Amsterdam who's a champion of the Somali cause and very anti the extremism and the lawlessness that prevails in that country. And he had all sorts of contacts that he gave me. And every time I tried to get hold of a pirate, they would just put the phone down. There's nothing ideological about what's going on with the piracy. I don't know if that comes out in the book. They just want women, uh, fast cars, houses, speedboats, and and alcohol, and have a good time. Sure. No, absolutely right. uh, There is a, a sort of mythology about piracy, going back to the Caribbean and uh Long John Silver and all all the swashbuckling, oh, ho, ho, yo, ho, ho. Uh, but they were all just robbers yes. and, and, and ruthless murderers and robbers. Yeah. So there's nothing uh, glamorous about them or romantic about them. And nothing new about them as well. If you go to Madagascar, for example, you'll find mm. cemeteries on, on Madagascar where, where very famous pirates are, uh, are buried. So it's, it's sure. part of the, the, the Indian Ocean uh, history, very much so. Absolutely. My island that is now sold in the Seychelles, that is where Labuz, the, the buzzard, Labuz, was... Uh, supposed to have buried his treasure and when they hung him at, at Port Louis in, in uh, Mauritius uh, he took the map and he threw it to the crowd and he says whoever finds it can have it and they've been, they dug my island up I mean you know when I went to have a look at the place to buy it the first time in this thick bush I walked I fell I nearly fell into a hole about 50 feet deep where they dug for treasure mm. And uh, my, the lady that worked for, uh, for me and, and still is on the island running it for the new owner, she and her son were walking along the beach at sunset and coming down towards them along the beach was a, was a, uh, a w- big strapping white man with a big beard. And La Bourge always had a big beard. <laughs> and he walked past them and they looked at them and, and he looked at them and they looked at him. And he walked on and they said to each other, I wonder who that was. And they turned around and he was gone. Oh. He was, there was no place for him to go, but he was gone. And so it was La Bourse himself coming back to check on his treasure. Sounds like a couple of bottles too many of rum, actually. <laughs> but it's a nice story. Talking about piracy, what about internet piracy? Have you been following the WikiLeaks revelations? Yeah. What would you think if suddenly WikiLeaks came out with something and there was an ambassador that you'd visited at his residence on one of your trips overseas and they said, I can't stand that Wilbur Smith fellow or his books? I mean, yeah. would you be offended or would you just think that's oh, what I'd want say? to kill the guy that said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, but joking aside, I think it is, and he's an American, isn't he? An American national? Um, I'm not sure. He's, he's Swedish. I mean, his family. He's, he's in Sweden, but I think yeah. he's an American national. So what he is doing is treasonable. Mm. He's taking the the, uh, the confidential information and sensitive information of his own country and throwing it to the wolves, as it were. Yeah. And you, you know, uh, in a hundred years ago, if you, you did that, they put a a white cloth over your eyes and marched you out and shot you. So you think he should be tried as a spy oh, I think or he, I for I think treason. he should. Mm. And, you know, to, to prevent him being tried, like it's saying, okay, I, I, for some sentimental reasons, 
a person commit a, can commit a crime, and it's no doubt it is a crime, I think, to disclose uh, you know, uh, information about, about your own country, country's uh, military operations and diplomatic operations. Yes. Diplomatic operations. He should certainly be tried. And then he can stand up and justify himself. So there should be freedom of information, but on the other hand, you have to draw a line somewhere where things become sensitive. No, I don't agree in freedom of information. There's a lot of things that should be kept under. Mm. And even in the UK, which is an, a very open society, they also got f- official secrets and they they closed down on a subject or a particular subject for 50 years or 60 years because they know that releasing it now could, could cause damage. Yeah. And there's no, no, no question about it that the WikiLeaks have put out stuff that does cause damage. It's uh, anti-Catholicism and uh, all sorts of other uh, aspects which are not something that you would w- really want to foster. Mm. Are you a man of faith? Yeah, yes, but I don't. I don't. I, I have a my own idea of God, and um, it's a sort of conglomeration of all the other religions, yeah. from uh, from animism and down through the ages. But I don't think that there's a, a guy up there watching me who's tuned into my call sign. When I get down on my knees, he says, "Okay, well, but what can I give you now?" <laughs> I don't think it works like that. Yeah. But I, I think that when you when you look at the universe and you you you, you see the Im- images of the Hubble um, telescope, that has to be something. There has to be something immense and unfathomable behind that because it's just so big and so incredible uh, that you know. I just believe that there, there is a intelligence behind it, but not necessarily a benevolent intelligence. Interesting. Cape Town, let's come back in. You were not Cape Town's favourite son when you said nasty things about the CBD. We did mention this in our last interview, but I'd like to Mm -hmm. revisit it. I mean, you've come to the foreshore today and you've parked outside and there's a car guard looking after your car, but do you feel uneasy in areas like this or or places like Long Street (coughs) and the alleys off Long Street? I certainly wouldn't like to be there at night. Hmm. At this time of day, it's different. But, you know, like in the African jungle, there's some places you... You would go during the day, other time, but uh, that you would not visit on your own in after dark, and I think that's right. I think that there are a lot of very lawless people out there, mm. and um, you were talking about the hits. If it, if it is a hit, or you know, if it is conceived as a hit, that that means there is a lawless element, and it is more. Uh, how can I say? Has a freer reign in some countries than in others. For instance, we were talking about Switzerland. That wouldn't happen in Switzerland. No, no you don't get a, don't go to Switzerland to have a hit job done. You, if you want to go to Dignitas and have yourself put down, that is a different story. <laughs> and I think that that is a, is a very, very, uh, how can I say, a desirable thing to have the right of life for yourself. But uh, I think that there are places in... in uh, Edinburgh and uh, Glasgow, where I certainly wouldn't go at night. There's certainly places in New York City that I wouldn't go at night. So uh, perhaps what I'm saying about Cape Town is it's now become a city 
where things happen. Mm. And you have to be, if you have any sense at all, you guard yourself against those things. Well, you go to any UK town or city on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Yeah, when they you walk can't walk booze. down there. Everyone's completely boozed up on Alco Pops. Sure. And they fall out of the pubs. They can't even see. And there's extreme violence. So it's not just New York City. Um, and Glasgow, it's, it's every town in Britain. And I think it's very sad. My son and his friend pestered me on Saturday night to go to Long Street. They've never been there, and they're 17 and they're 16, and they think yeah. we'd like to you know, be part of this. We've heard about Long Street. So I said, you can do that. That's fine. You can have two hours, and you can go there from 7.30 to 9.30. But I warn you this. Don't go off the main street. And be aware that you are going to be approached by people. You're two white boys sure. and they can see that you don't really belong there. And you've got some money in your pocket. And you've probably got money in your pocket and you've probably got mobile phones. So just be careful and have a good time. And when they came, they phoned me after about an hour and a half, said, you know, Dad, there's nothing for us here. They also said we've been approached probably every three or four minutes by somebody offering us not just weed, not just dope, cannabis but uh, cocaine heroin well, ecstasy and something stuff, called yeah. chronic as well and i just think that if they're so open about it the police surely know about it the police could surely go in there and, and, and clean them off the streets but they must have a relationship with the police Bukhara restaurant. Mm-hmm. We used to go very often on Green Market Square yeah. or close to there. Yeah, and we and our last approach was this was uh, just a bit. Right, we've been approached a few times in that street, and the last time we had an encounter with a very, very slim and young girl and uh, semi-African nationality, and she showed the knife to us. This was about the February, probably 2008, and this was our last time ever to be in that part of the city. That's why probably Woolworths talks were based on that. Woolworths is a vulnerable citizen in this country because he is white and older, and I'm a female, so we feel vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, it does happen all the time. You've got lots of books left in you, I know, uh, Wilbur, as we approach the end of our chat. But, I mean, when do you stop? When I do you stop it's going to be half an hour if we've had about three minutes, have we? Okay, we can go on a little bit more. Then. <laughs> <laughs> You're keen. Got another three minutes to go. You've got lots more stories, but, I mean, how many more? I mean, how many books have you written now? 30? 32. This 32. is 32 going down the track now. Mm. You know, this is number 33. Okay, 32 and counting. Number 33 coming up. Um... If you find something in life, if you're fortunate enough to find something in life that you really love doing and you uh, can go into it with total passion and then at the end of it someone pays you for it, I mean, why should I stop writing except if I run out of out of energy perhaps? and you Or know, ideas. I don't think that I, that would happen to me because, you know, the ideas come um, – banging on the door all the time. Yeah. Um, I I like writing, and, I, and Nisa likes me to write because we have a, a sort of different change of pace in our, in our lifestyle when, we, when I'm doing that. And, uh, and I get a, an enormous sense of satisfaction having produced a book, mm. which is, you know, four or 500 pages long, and that other people are going to pay me for and read, and I will get letters from people saying how much they enjoyed it or how much they hated it. You know, it's just its so exciting. It's my form of excitement. Give us a sneak preview of the book that you're going to be working on. You've just completed those in peril. It's out in April in Italy first, but soon after it'll be here and across the world. What's the subject of the next one, do you think? <laughs> people, sex, uh uh, excitement, uh, the idea of people striving to do something or striving for uh, 
vilification or for revenge. Uh, it'll have all that stuff in it. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for coming. <laughs> That's Wilbur Smith and Nisa. Thanks also for contributing. Thank you so much for inviting us.